And we're going to see that there's going to be lots of times in life when it doesn't work the way that we think that it should, but God's plan and God's perspective is never thwarted. We're going to see circumstances that don't go very well in the life of Joseph and God's plans prevail. We're going to see this issue between a loving God and a holy God and a broken, fallen man. And we're going to see that in Exodus and Leviticus and God's pursuit of how to reconcile man to God. And God's love, we're going to see what happens when God uses people that appear to be unusable. People in promiscuity, people that are unknown, people that are unloved, people that don't love him. And that's actually the life of Abraham. We're going to call him Abraham today because he hasn't changed his name yet, but that's Abraham. And we're going to constantly fight for this perspective of what is God doing? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and he created the climax of creation, which he called man. In his image. That God wanted to extend his glory and his grace, and all of life was about his glory. You remember those big ideas throughout these last few weeks? That all of life is about the glory of God. And in God's infinite wisdom, he started and he looked down on the nothingness and he created the world. He created man as his children, innocent, naked, with nothing to offer but everything to receive from this loving, holy, righteous God. And he looked down on the world and he created And what was it, church? What did he create? It was good. In fact, when he got to man and woman, what was it? Very good. And he looked down, and as the glory was his pursuit, he said, this is the best way for me to be glorified, is to create man and woman in my image so that they might have this childlike faith and trust me. God is most glorified when we as his creation are most trusting, treasuring, and satisfied in him. That's what God designed. God created this perfect world for you and I, for Adam and Eve to be in so that they might have a relationship with God and that would bring God the most glory possible. But what happened? Chapter 3. In fact, it's funny, I think often we look at the Bible, we look at the Old Testament specifically as this philosophical book. It's a theological book. It's a book that tells about who God is. It's not about philosophy. In fact, Moses, as he's writing to the Israelites, he only spends two chapters in all of creation. That's it. One chapter on the fall when God who created Adam and Eve in his image, when they came and they took the apple and they no longer looked to God as the all-sufficient provider of grace and mercy and sustaining relationship, they took that on to their own account. They went into the garden and they stopped living based on the mercy and the grace that God gave and instead they said, I want to know. I want to be more like God. I want to know. And they took the apple and they ate. They were deceived by the serpent. And whose fault was it? Who ultimately allowed the fall to happen? God. His perspective was doing something for his glory that he actually allowed Adam and Eve to be deceived and to eat. Why? Because God was telling a master story of the promise of his love for people, of his love for his creation, and just like his children that don't always obey, that doesn't stop the love that God has for them. God continues to pursue Adam and Eve, but it's at that moment in the garden, I think that was really the first Independence Day. Not the kind that we want. Not the kind that we like, because God created us for ultimate dependence upon him, to trust him, to treasure him, that he would get all the glory. And at that moment, Adam and Eve said, I want it for myself, and they received independence. That was the first sin. And that sin continues on 2,000, 3,000, 4,000, 5,000, thousands of years later to today in El Dorado Hills, where you and I are no different than Adam and Eve. 
where in our town we're living that same pursuit, where all of a sudden that easy trust, that easy turning to God and saying, God, what do you have for me today, is now more difficult. Now we live a life where we're trying to figure it out for ourselves. What do we want? We no longer live the life like God designed, that it's in his plan, that us created in his image are simply trying to live out our calling. See, I talk to a lot of people about calling. You know what you're called to do? You know your calling? Go to Genesis one twenty eight. That's your most important calling. You're called the child of God. What you do is just how you do your ultimate calling. If you're a mom or a dad or a school teacher or a firefighter or a plumber or an electrician or a pastor, it's all the same calling. In the beginning, God created you and me in his image. That's our calling. How we do it is just simply the way in which we find the most joy. It's a matter of gift mix. It's a matter of using the gifts that God has given us to reflect back to him the radiance of his worth. But in that moment in the garden, Independence Day was sprung. We look back at God the Father, creator of heaven and earth, and we no longer have that healthy independence. Now we're, we're separated. We're far off. And that day continues today. But we can't lose sight of the fact that God is sitting on his throne always, faithfully, continuing to move the plan forward. And so far through Genesis chapters 1 through 11, we've seen a lot of failure stories, right? We've seen Adam. We've seen Cain. We've seen Lamech. We've seen the Tower of Bible where these people try to build their independence and show their worth and show their glory and show that they are self-sufficient. But in my prayers, we see more often than not but God. We see but God's pursuit, but God's love, but his faithful consistently pursuing us to promote his own glory. But what Romans says from Paul, Paul says this in Romans, he says, those of us who live outside of God's plan, we're actually now enemies of the cause. We were created with one made purpose, to give him glory, to reflect back his radiance worth. But Adam and Eve in the garden, and you and me today, we have this issue. We keep fighting for our own glory, not his And as a result of that, God, who is sitting in heaven and earth, who has this ultimate perspective, he looks down at creation, which is broken, and he only has one appropriate response for us. See, if God was to maintain his holiness and his righteousness, his only response to those of us who are not holy, who are not righteous, is actually to judge. To maintain his righteousness, he can't be around the unrighteous. It's the reason why the flood came. It's the reason why hell exists is so that God's glory would not be compromised because that's what matters most. And if God in perfect holy unity would sit by and watch us destroy and defame, then we would become his enemies and God cannot sit and stand for nothing. So God interacts with us in time and he he floods the earth and he continues on in Genesis 1 through 11 at restoring his creation. And then today we're gonna get to chapter 12. Are you guys tired of the failure stories of the Old Testament yet? I don't know what the awkward laugh's for because it's just going to continue on. But we get to chapter 12. You know what we're going to see in chapter 12, guys? We're going to see something good. We're going to see someone respond to God's call in faith and live out that call in faith. In fact, this is how I would summarize chapter 12, which is where we're going this morning. God has a simple call in all of our lives. I think sometimes we complicate it. What's my PhD in? What, 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 what am I supposed to do? We have a very simple call. Each one of us has a simple call to create us in his image for his glory and to be in relationship with him. That is your calling in life. Anyone here wrestle with their calling in life? It's on the screen. To be loved by God. 
to receive what he created us for, which is relationship with him, and then to reflect that love to others. That is our call. And from that call, all of our actions are impacted. Every single thing that we say and we do and we buy with our time and our treasure and our talent, all of it is impacted. And Abraham, who is Abraham, you got that so far? Abraham's going to show us that. Because we need models of faith. We need people to live life. And Abram is one of these men who shows us what this looked like and what the appropriate response to the call to creation to God really is. And I want you to notice as I read the text this morning, three things that Abram does that we can reflect. Open your Bibles, Genesis chapter 12. If you have it, read along with me. It'll also be on the screen. Genesis 12 verses 1 through 9. Now the Lord God said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord told him and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran and Abram took Sarai his wife and Lot his brother's son and all the possessions that they had gathered and the people that they had acquired in Haran and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. So then they came to the land of Canaan Abram passed through the land of the place called Shechem at the Oak of Murrah, and at the time the Canaanites were in the land. And the Lord appeared to Abram, and he said this, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country in the east of Bethel, and he pitched his tent, and Bethel on the west, and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord, and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward Negev. Here's what we're going to see this morning from Abram. We're going to see three examples of what faith looks like. Because faith is the assurance of things not yet seen. We get that from the author of Hebrews. But beyond that, the question is simply this. But what does it look like in our town? What's it look like living in El Dorado Hills and in Folsom and in Rescue and Cameron Park? What does it look like to have faith? Here's the first thing it looks like. When God speaks, you go. When God speaks and he tells you to go, you you go. Here's what the text says. Now the Lord said to Abram, go. Now right now I want everyone to stand up. Stand up. Hurry, come on, hustle. We don't want this sermon to be too long. Stand on one leg. <laughs> Clap. Hop. Take a seat. Now who didn't stand up? Mark didn't stand up. Who else didn't stand up? We're not going to put anybody on the spot here, except for Mark. <laughs> when someone asks you to do something, whether you do it or not, is dependent upon What? Do you trust the person? Do you actually believe they have what's best for you? I had no good intention for you other than to watch you all clap and jump and hop on a leg. It brought me great joy. (laughs) God the Father who created all things for his glory and for our good because he attached that to us when he made us in his image. The climax of his creation asked Abram to go. Now, we don't know a lot about Abram at this point. In fact, as Moses writes, he hasn't really told us anything about Abram, a little bit in chapter 11, which we'll reference later. But the Israelites that are reading this book, I think they know a lot about Abram. Remember, the Israelites are preparing to go in the promised land. Moses is writing this great account in the Pentateuch that is this historical account of who God is. It's a theology of what God is up to in his plan and his purpose. Here's what we know about Abram. We actually know from Joshua that the readers of this text would know that Abram was not always a God-fearer. Abram's the 10th in the line from Noah. So we got a big gap from last week's text. 10th generation. 
These generations lived even longer than we do today. Huge gap in the text between Noah and today. And here's what we know from Joshua. It says this, the father Abraham and Nahor, and they served other gods. Not Yahweh. Not Jehovah Jireh. They didn't serve God the way in which the Israelites know God. They served other gods. Remember the Tower of Babel? They were making themselves God. They were worshiping other things that would bring them joy, that would bring themselves glory, not God glory. And Abram was one of those guys. Sometimes I think we forget that. Abram wasn't this great patriarch. Abram was the start of the patriarchs. We don't just sing songs about Father Abraham had many sons. No, what we know about Abram is the fact that he was a nobody that worshipped other gods, not Yahweh Almighty. But God chooses Abram. Why does God choose Abram? Because he's God. Because I think God often chooses the unchoosable, the unthinkable, the people that can't make a difference, the people that shouldn't make a difference. He's the 10th generation of Noah. He's a nobody. But God. Isn't that the big idea of the Bible? Abram's a nobody, but God, because guys, if we've learned nothing else in the Old Testament, we must remember that who is the main character? God. This is his story and his promise. So in the same way that Noah wasn't the main character, neither is Abram for these three weeks. Who's the main character of the story is God. I want you to see what God does. The Lord God says to Abram, go, and Abram goes. Now, he's not hopping all the way. He's doing other things. But he's responding because there's something in the authority of the creator of the cosmos that when he speaks, what must we do? Yeah. We must trust. We must listen. We must obey. So God speaks and Abraham goes. But I want you to listen. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And let's change that for next service. I missed an I will. First service is JV, varsity. Second service, just in case you don't know. So we make changes. I want to see all the I wills here. That I will show you where to go and I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you'll be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. Who is this about? God. This is about God's plan and his promise and his provision and his perfect plan that started in the beginning and even in this time and in this day and in our day when things don't look like they're going our way, whose way is it going? God's. God's doing something. And God wants Abram to see that when he tells him to get up and to hop and to pat his belly and to rub his head or whatever you do that way, God's doing it for a purpose. It's for Abram's good. Now, what else do we know about Abram at this point? Well, we actually know if you go backwards in chapter 11, we know this. Because he says, I'll make you a great nation. At this point, Abram's 75 years old. He has a wife who's barren. She's without child. In fact, most commentators believe that she can't have kids. And maybe that's just a new development that they're starting to understand. I don't know when the age of adolescence was for them. I know for us, it keeps getting later, right? Parents of late 20s. They start to move back in. So I don't know if 75 is considered the prime time or not, but it's past their age when they would typically be having kids. And here's what the author shows us for most in chapter 11. Abram's wife was Sarai, and Sarai was barren. She had no child. So when God comes to Abram in chapter 12 and says, Abram, go, I'm going to make you a great nation. What might be Abram's first response? How's that going to happen? How's that going to happen? And here's what the best news of the book is. It's not about you. 
It's about God doing things that only God can do. So he calls the unusable. He calls the unthinkable. He calls the unloved one. He says, good thing it's about me. So Abram, you just need to go. That's what you need to do. You need to be prepared and ready to go. So God comes to him and he says, Abram, go. And here's what Abram does. Abram will actually see later, not only does God love Abram, but he says, don't be afraid. There's going to be moments in your life when you doubt this promise. Go look outside at all the stars. And he shows up in a dream and he shows this to Abram. He says, I got a plan for you that's beyond what you could possibly dream or imagine. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. There's this immediate response from Abram. Now, we don't know. We see God show up all the time in in Genesis. We're going to see later in Exodus and in Moses, we're going to see a burning bush. We're going to see God appear to people. And when God speaks, we listen. But at this point, God shows up to Abram and he just simply says this real simple command. I want you to pick up all your stuff and all your people and I want you to go. Now, I've never quite received a call like that. I mean, I feel like it's something similar when we left Orange County. We left Orange County to move up here to this foreign land. We felt like God called us here. We felt like there was a calling for that. And the calling was the same as every other calling that I've ever gotten. Love God, love people, make him famous. That's your calling, Wes. That's your calling, Eric and Rick and Eric. It's no different than that calling that I have. Love God, love people, and make him famous. Be the living proof of loving God. And that's the call that God has for Abram. The question is, what do we do with it? How do we respond in our town? And what I love is in this moment, we have a positive example. Has Adam been a positive example so far? The woman made me do it. Has Cain been a positive example so far? I'm not my brother's keeper. What positive examples do we have? We've got Noah who was righteous and blameless. And what did Noah do? He built a dang ark. You know, I, talk, I coach little kids all the time, soccer, baseball. You know my favorite lines to little kids? Talk less. You ever tried to coach kids that have all the answers? Talk less. I'm the coach. And God the Father comes to his people and he says, just be faithful. That's the call for us today. Be faithful. Be faithful to the call. When God speaks, we listen and we go. And let's not diminish what Abram did. This is the journey. He's from Ur with his people, and he already went on the 600-mile trek with his dad all the way up here to Haran. 600 miles, and he was much younger than 75. Now he's 75, and God says, go down here to the land of Canaan 500 miles. If I'm Abram at this point, I go, hey, buddy. I did the whole 600-mile thing once when I was young and in shape. Now I'm 75, and I'd rather pass. See, the call of Abram was not to go plant a church in El Dorado Hills, where I call this the best place in the world. No, the call to Abram was to go to this foreign land that he knew nothing about and to go. Sometimes we want all the answers, right? We want to know what it's going to look like. We want to know how we're going to get there. We want to know what time does the train leave. Who are the movers that are going to pack my stuff? And what does God say to Abram? Just go. And I'm going to do all the work. I'm going to do the work, but you must be faithful. You must accept the call, and you must get up and hop and jump and actually do something. And it's this immediate response, immediate action. I want to invite some friends up. Chuck and Ashley, come on up. 
Because I wonder what this looks like in our day sometimes. Because the call is different at times, and the call for everybody is different, but it's also quite simple. It's be faithful. That's the call. The call is that when God asks you to do something, you actually do it. And Chuck and Ashley, I don't know how many of you guys have met Chuck and Ashley, but Chuck and Ashley are our first time Vintage Grace residents. That's, that's where like, okay, thank you. That's the time we clap. Now maybe you don't know what residents are, and that's okay, because they're going to tell you right now in a little bit. But for me, it was always this heart when we planted Vintage Grace, it was never about El Dorado Hills, Folsom, and Cameron Park. It was always about God's kingdom. In fact, one of our core values, if you notice on Sunday mornings, we really have pretty simple standards for Sunday mornings. We sing songs, we do a sermon, we tell stories, and we be sent every single Sunday. You notice that? We do that every Sunday. The same thing. Sometimes in different order, sometimes creatively, sometimes not as creatively as I think it is. But it's really simple. We give God the radiant worth. We understand who he is so we can be sent and go do it. And we hear stories say, does this matter? And my vision years ago was simply this. What would it be like to bring in future church planters? You've got a church plant going on in Oak Park right now in Sacramento. Matt Moore. I hope we're praying for him. But my other vision was, God, what would it be like to raise up ministers and to send them out? So I'm praying about this vision, and I run into these guys. Chuck and Ashley, who the heck are you? No one here knows who you are. You're loving these kids. Who are you? All right, well, I'm Chuck. I'm not Ashley. Um, I'm a senior at uh, CCU Online. And What's CCU? CCU Colorado Christian University. So I'm getting my degree in biblical studies, finishing up this year. And this is my beautiful wife, Ashley. Hi, guys. Um, I am a senior at Azusa Pacific, also online. And, my and Chuck used to go to Biola. Yeah. So this is a match made in heaven. Yes. Biola and Azusa. Go Eagles. <laughs> Um, so you're a senior? I'm a senior, and my degree is in liberal studies. And if you don't know um, what that is exactly, because it's a little um, ambiguous, it is for teaching, so for elementary school. And uh, Chuck and I met about a year ago. Uh, we have a little bit of a funny story, but I'll make it as short as possible. Um, we met when Chuck was actually working at Starbucks, and I was his regular um, and I may have customer. kept going in there. His regular customer. <laughs> customer. Just <Promise>. to clarify. <laughs> um, so we kind of got to know each other over the counter a little bit and uh, realized that we had the Lord in common, which was uh, the most important thing for us. And um, we went on a date, and it was kind of history from there. Who made the first move? <laughs> <laughs> Now, that's not totally the story that I know. I actually know that it was her mom that helped make the first move. So you mothers out there that need to nudge somebody along, it's okay. God can use that for his glory. So you guys start dating, and then uh, a few about a year goes by in total, and then uh, all of a sudden, what happened last month? All right, so all of a sudden... Um well, this summer, uh, we had a conversation. No, last month. Last month. Oh. What happened last month? We got married. <laughs> Amen. And God said that it was good, right? Amen. You get married, and that was last month. Mm-hmm. Now, before that, about a couple months before, I was down at a conference in San Diego the first week of June, and we ran into each other, and we're getting a cup of coffee, and, and what happens around, the, around Starbucks? Because good things happen at Starbucks. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so we were sharing our vision of doing ministry as our careers with Drew, um, and he was sharing his vision of ministry with us, um, and we were just grabbing a cup of coffee, and all of a sudden, uh, maybe a couple weeks later, he gives us a call and starts telling us about his vision for 
this residency um, and asks us, so how adventurous are you and your bride? (laughs) Bride-to-be. They're not even married yet. Yeah. (laughs) And so we say, well, I think we're pretty adventurous. We're open to whatever the Lord has. And so he asks us to begin praying about a possible residency. Um, And so we spend a few weeks, maybe a month or so, praying, asking the Lord if uh, that's his will for us, um, if that's his specific calling. Um, And as we communicate with Drew and we hear about how it's going and the process uh, just began to solidify more, uh, we began to uh, really perceive that this would be an amazing thing for the kingdom. Um, And the Lord really put that on our hearts. Um, So about uh, three weeks before our wedding, it got completely solidified. We began raising funds and the Lord completely came through, provided for us the startup cost to be up here. Um, And it just became so clear this is what, what he has for us. And so we moved up here about two weeks ago. And we're here serving in children's ministry. So, now how long have you known about Vintage Grace? Yeah, um, so I have been uh, kind of watching the Vintage Grace journey from the beginning. I've been praying, been hearing updates from Drew, uh, things like that. And so it's been really cool to see it grow so much, to see their vision of, like he was saying, to uh, spread out and not just be about here to church plant. Um, And so when we were talking with Drew about the residency, that was a big thing uh, for me of, yeah, we definitely see the vision of Vintage Grace. We see their mission, and we have been coming alongside of it, um, and now we are excited to be a part of it. Now, and actually, Chuck's grandma and parents are supporters of our church. So these are people that are financially supporting our church, that are praying for our church, and now they're sending their offspring. <laughs> they're saying, you go. And I want you guys to note the story. Three weeks before their wedding date, what were you guys doing three weeks before your wedding? Probably not raising funds to go to the land of Canaan. <laughs> The promised land, which is what Eldorado Hills is, right? (laughs) Land of milk and honey. It's the promised land. It's where everybody wants to be. And so Chuck and Ashley are praying about this. They hear God say go, and what do they do? Well, God, we're getting married. Well, God, we've got other plans. Can you circle back to us in about six months? Isn't that the common response in America? It just just doesn't line up. But God continues to make it more clear. And these guys, three weeks before their wedding date, say, okay, God... Now, they're either stupid or faith-filled, right? And we've got a year to figure this out as a church. So they're working about 20 hours a week with our kids' ministry program. They're serving on Sunday mornings with your children. They're serving in the office. And they're here to essentially be trained and equipped to be sent to go be full-time ministers. That's the dream as a church. To go impact the kingdom of God, to start new movements of God, to see God make his name famous all over this state, all over this country, and all over this world. Because that was his plan in the beginning. Was to encourage us to trust him, to treasure him, to do more. So that when God calls, we go. So Ashley, what are you looking forward to now that you're here? Two weeks, you've been married for a whole month. What are you looking forward to? Yeah, um, it's been great so far in uh, the kids' ministry. So we're working with K-5 through primarily, and I'm just really looking forward to the hands-on experience uh, that we're both getting and really just building kingdom-minded relationships, Mm. which we've already started building with the kids, um, and just being equipped to go out and serve wherever he leads next. Cool. Um, I'm also looking forward to getting the hands-on ministry experience, um, which is just prime for what we want to do. Um, 
but I'm also really excited to just develop this vintage grace model of doing church uh, because I really love, like Drew is telling us, the DNA of vintage grace. And I'm super excited to, um, whenever wherever the Lord calls us next, uh, to take that um, and go and implement it um, wherever that may be, um, to impact the kingdom. Um, and I'm just so excited to see the fruit um, that the Lord brings forth from this residency, both here at Vintage Grace uh, and residencies to come, as well as uh, wherever we bring uh, the light and the joy of Jesus that we've gathered here. And really part of my hope for us as a church is that we don't ever evaluate the health of our church by the fruit at this location. But we actually evaluate the health of our church by how many other fruit trees there are. And that's a huge shift. Because otherwise we really think, man, we need nicer carpet. You see the phrase? Have you ever noticed those? We should replace those. Yeah, you know, I'd rather invest in residents. So thank you, church, for being generous. Now, they came to us and said, hey, we want a job. We'll raise money, and then we'll come work for you. How does that sound? (laughs) Sounds good to me. But it's because their heart. It's because they, like Abram, just simply want to say, God, we want to be faithful to your call. And so when God says go to crummy El Dorado Hills, I guess we'll go. Give, Give them a round of applause. So here's the point, church. When God calls, we listen. When God calls, we go. When God calls, we go and and we're going to grow. Now, we're going to look at Abram for three weeks. And for three weeks, we hang out with this main character. And what we're going to see from Abram is he's going to grow along the way. We don't know a lot about him. We know that he's faithful and that he goes when God calls him to go. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him, his brother's son, and he was 75 years old. Now I want us to note, many of us get to this point in life where we feel like, my life is over. Retirement is such a gift. Now Abram's obviously not retiring, but in my mind, retirement is simply this. You don't have to work professionally for your job, which should have been a mission field anyways, right? But now we continue to work professionally for the gospel. It's about your God. He's the main character in your life. So Abram's 75. And understand this, for Abram, he's going to live to about 175. It's not even half time. I don't care where you are in life. When God says go, when he puts something on your heart, he means it. And his expectation on us is that we would trust him to be faithful because he alone is faithful. So God calls Abram as a 75-year-old, and he takes off. And we don't know a lot about Abram's first 75 years. We don't know a lot about his last 75 years. We know a lot about these 25. We're going to see 13 chapters on this between chapter 12 through 25. And Abram goes, and he's going to grow throughout this entire process. We're going to see that word journey at the end of the paragraph here. We're going to see what it looks like for us to journey with Jesus. And how often is that journey perfect? Well, in his perspective, always. It's always perfect in his perspective. But in our perspective, how often is it perfect? How often do we respond perfectly? And God's going to journey with us as we go on this road. And we're going to see a lot of it next. We're going to see a lot of it the next week. Of what does faith look like from this man that shows it to us? In our town, as we look back at his town, what does this look like? And here's what the text says. So Abram took Sariah's wife... And all of his brother, and his blood, his brother's son, and all their possessions they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they sent out and they go to the land of Canaan. So Abraham goes when he says go. He's going to grow throughout the entire journey, and he's going to gather any and everyone that matters to him. Now, for Chuck and Ashley, how much of that gathering took place? One car's worth? The moves get worse as you get more kids and stuff. 
It's not about how much you do. It's when God says go, you go, and you gather it all, and you throw it in your car, and you take off, and maybe your going is simply this. It's stop shutting your garage door every day because that's a tool of the devil, I'm convinced, in our neighborhoods. Maybe it's moving your entertainment set from the backyard to the front yard so you can get to know your neighbors. Maybe it's realizing that you don't know any of your neighbors. You know that doorbell says don't solicit? That doesn't apply to the gospel. You ring it. And maybe going is not throwing your stuff in a car. Maybe going is just getting out and not being in such a hurry. Maybe going is recognizing what God's up to and what God's doing. And Abram goes and he gathers and he takes anyone that matters. Because if God has a call, who do we want to be a part of it? Now that's not intended to be a trick question. So I'm going to try to ask it a different way. When God wants something, it's for his glory and for whose good? Ours. So when God says, Drew, I have something for my glory and for your good. Who do I want to experience that? Everybody. Everybody, everybody, everybody. So Abram gathers everybody and he takes off. And in verse 6 it says this, So Abram passed through the land in the place of Shechem to the oak of Morah. And at that time the Canaanites were in the land. So he gets everybody and he goes. And when he gets there, what does he see? Other people. How comforting is that, church? Hey, church, I want you guys to come back tomorrow night. There's going to be 500 people here tomorrow night. I want you to come. You ready? And you get there and there's nobody. How comforting is that? That was a joke. Don't, don't come here tomorrow night. <laughs> God tells Abram to go. Abram goes. But there's already people in this land that he's giving them. And he says this. But then the Lord God appeared to Abram. Now, I don't know about you. But when the Lord God appears, it gets my attention. And he does that to me in all different ways in my town. Sometimes it's through a text message. You know, God's working on your heart. And all of a sudden you get this text from John. And it says, hey man, I'm just praying for you. You know, you're discouraged. And then you get this note from someone that says, hey, God's in the midst of your garbage. He's in the garbage business. It's in the phone call. It's in my life group. I had a life group last Thursday night. You ever have a life group where you're just tired and you don't want anyone to come to your house? Or is that just me? <laughs> and life group's on Thursday night. I'm tired. I'm exhausted. And then Steve walks in and he gives me a hug. And then I see Mike. And all of a sudden I leave life group on Thursday night. And I go, oh my gosh, God appeared. And I needed it. God appears in pain to remind us that we need him. God appears in people, in my life group, in your text messages, on your emails. He appears on Sunday morning. And the Lord God appears to Abram. Because at this moment, Abram might say, uh-oh, God made a mistake. Auto-correct on that text message, Jesus. And he says this, to your offspring I will give this land. Remember. Don't doubt the promise to your offspring will give this land. So he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. And from there he continued on. He builds this altar because as we go, we worship as we go. He goes to the land and he realizes there are people there. But he says, yeah, but God said, so this is going to be my land. So I'm going to build an altar so I can remember this point in my life. That's what an altar is. He continues on. And he says this. From there he moved to the hill country to the east of Bethlehem, pitched his tent. And Bethel was in the west and I on the east. I think a tent is a great permanent facility, by the way. Abram is homeless. He's left everything. He's living in a tent. And there he builds another altar to the Lord. And here's what an altar is. An altar is any structure that we come and we lay our sacrifice at. That's what an altar is. My prayer is that every Sunday morning we view Vintage Grace as an altar. Because we, according to Romans 12, are living sacrifices. 
that we're giving our life, that we come and we gather on Sunday mornings to dance, to sing, to celebrate, to reflect back to God the radiant value and worth that he alone deserves and earns and is righteously his. That's what an altar is. So he goes and he builds an altar to the Lord and he called upon the name of the Lord and Abram journeyed on, still going towards Negev. He's being faithful even though the circumstances don't look like it. Guys, when we come on Sunday mornings, I love being a part of this choir. And as a part of this choir that I call Vintage Grace, we sing songs to the Lord. We sing songs that say, God, even when there's Canaanites, even when it doesn't look good, even when I'm afraid, you are faithful. God is a simple call in our lives, and it's about his glory. That's what it's about. It's about who he is. So when we gather on Sunday mornings, I pray that even when the Utah Cal game's on the previous night, it's a really good game, that we turn it off because we don't want to compromise the opportunity that we have on Sunday morning to come to the altar and to build signs of remembrance. And that's what Abram does. He builds moments in his life that remind himself later in life what matters most. And what matters most is who God is. What matters most is what you think about when you think about God, according to A.W. Tozer. So Sunday mornings we come and we worship and we build altars and we sing. Father God, I come before you right now and I praise you because you alone are worthy of praise. We gathered here this morning to look at you because you are worth looking at. We gathered here this morning to put aside our cell phones, to put aside our frustrations and other things and to look at the one who created all things and said it is good and said I have a plan for it and my plan is for your benefit and for your good and for my glory. So this morning we come to sing and to celebrate you because who you are is worth celebrating.